You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Good morning. Yeah. A few weeks ago, I was invited to tell my story here on Sunday morning. And right at the end, I, I reported just a little bit about our sabbatical last fall. <clears throat> I reported um, about travel just a little bit. I mentioned some of that, but I didn't tell you anything. By the way, it is a smart church that sees the importance of granting its pastors an occasional time away for rest and recharge. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a smart church because that's what they did for me. Now, resting and recharging is different for different people. One of the ways that I rest and recharge is by outdoor adventure. And so Janelle and I took several outdoor adventures last fall, but the most exciting one for sure was our trip to Scotland. We explored Edinburgh, one of the most important cities of the Reformation. We visited castles. We drove through the Scottish Highlands, and we hiked in what is certainly the most exciting place in Scotland. It's called the Isle of Skye. It was a sensational week and one of the best adventures that we have ever had. But I knew that after a week like that, we were going to need a rest, all right, a quiet. So I planned for us to take a three-day visit, a break at the Northumbria community a monastery in northern England where a small community of Christians live and teach and practice the ancient disciplines of the Christian faith. You know what those are? There's outward disciplines of worship and celebration and confession and, and service, sacrifice. Then there's inward devotions. Silence, solitude, meditation, prayer, and fasting, our subject this morning. So it was interesting to me when I came back from the sabbatical and I found out that the first Sermon series, post-sabbatical, is the Sermon on the Mount. And specifically on the passages in this that are about three of these disciplines. Two weeks ago, Brooke taught about the sacrificial giving to the poor. Last week, Casey talked about the discipline of prayer. And now today, Matthew 6, 16-18 where Jesus speaks about the discipline of fasting. He says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, 
For they disfigure their faces to show men, oh, I'm fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their full reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, which we don't do anymore. Wash your face, which we should, okay? So that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So what's he saying here? Well, the first thing I hear is what he doesn't want us to do, and that's to make a show out of the fact that we're suffering in a fast. As if to say, look how holy I am. I'm doing a fast. Just like giving to the needy, prayer, fasting is something that we should mainly keep private. Now, when we fast, we usually do so um, with a very sincere heart. But it's so easy, isn't it, to tell others that we're doing something spiritually challenging a little bit out of pride. Jesus says, don't do it. Keep it private. But there are times when fasting is done in a group like this. Of the 16 passages in Scripture that mention fasting, half of them are about a group of people fasting together. And I hope that at some point we as a fellowship will do that. Some of the passages describe fasting as a regular part of the Christian life that happens every so often, maybe every week, every month, but it's a regular part of church life in the first century. Now, why would a church do a group fast? Well, a church might fast as a way of purging out a wrong attitude that they have discovered that is in their group. Purging out something like racial prejudice. Purging out something like apathy where they discover it in their midst and they say, this is alarming. We need to fast and pray for this to leave us. A church may fast together as they seek guidance on an important decision or to focus their concentration on a specific task before them as a group. A group fasts, they have their place. something else. Notice in this passage that Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. He says, when you fast. Because he knows that we are going to do it. The ancients wisely practiced disciplines that the modern world forgot a long time ago. And because of that, they were stronger, stronger than us in many ways. You go, well, stronger from fasting? How would would fasting make us stronger? 
Duh. That doesn't sound like it makes any sense. Wait, I'll, I will explain that. Let's start, though, by defining what we mean by fasting, okay? Fasting is abstaining from eating and sometimes drinking for a period of time anywhere from one meal to three days. That's what's common. There is a church in Peoria I'm going to talk about. They're doing a 21-day fast, but it's kind of complicated, okay? In Matthew 4, we read that Jesus fasted for over 40 days. In Ezra 8.23, the prophet writes that we fasted and petitioned our God, and he answered our prayer. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Daniel says, I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and in petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. This was serious. In Acts 14.23, we read that Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas appointed elders for each church in what was at then, that time Syria and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord. From these passages, you can see, right, that we know that fasting is clearly a Christian practice. And before Christian practice, it was a deeply revered practice within Judaism. Again, but why? Why stop eating, okay? Two things. Listen, there are two huge things that come from developing the habit of fasting. Self-control and focus. Self-control and focus. You learn a lot about yourself. And about self-control, when you try to fast, you quickly realize how much you depend on the pleasure of eating and drinking for your happiness. And you've got to know, if you've done it, that fasting is a complete test of your will. I knew I needed to fast a number of years ago when I was at LT. So I went to a Christian college in the middle of summer and got them to give me a room for two or three days. And I was going to fast and pray about this ministry. Uh, Now, see, I told you. So now I sacrifice the reward for that fast. Okay. But I can give up a few. For your sake. (laughs) So my plan was to drink a lot of water, but I was going to give myself one break. Orange Gatorade. That's all I allowed myself for the two days. So I'm walking around. I have a little Gatorade. And I'm praying and I'm journaling and I'm writing. It must have been about 20 minutes. And I'm looking over at that bottle of Gatorade. Well, you know, it might be good for me to drink some Gatorade in the beginning because that'll put that potassium in me now before I even get the headache. Whoop! Another swig of Gatorade. I go back to praying and have some water, have some more water. I look over at that Gatorade bottle. I said, you know, I could use a taste, you know. But no, no, I'm not going to do it. This is weak of me, okay? I'm checking. How much do I have left? Am I going to make it? And that bottle became my constant fixation for two days. And finally, I just gave up and drank it. 
It's so hard. We are so food and drink centered. And deciding to fast is traumatic as well. You're going to find that there is no good time to fast. You got an excuse ready at every moment of every day all through the year. There isn't a good time unless you make the time. And later I'm going to give you an opportunity to try this. So you can see that fasting, it develops self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then if we can get a little bit good at fasting, I mean, you're ready, you you kind of know what you're going to be dealing with. We can find that fasting will help us focus, concentrate, focus your mind and your spirit beyond what you are normally able to experience. You see, fasting disconnects the body from the mind. Because when you fast, the machinery of digestion inside you, it panics in the beginning, but then it turns itself off. So the two, three days in, you're probably, if you're experienced, not feeling any hunger at all. But, you know, I thought this, maybe you're thinking this, how am I not going to run out of energy if I'm not eating or drinking Gatorade? You know what? Your body is going to tell you that. And it's going to fake. And it's going to lie. And it's going to have a tantrum. But if you wait out the tantrum, it's going to scream, what are you doing to me? I thought you were my friend. (laughs) Why would you starve me like this? But then it'll go to sleep. It'll shut down and you'll cruise. You're going to realize that your body has plenty of stored energy in it. Now, fasting also has physical benefits. Doing a fast with a lot of water rests and cleans the body. If you drink plenty of water, there is a release of toxins that happens, even if it's just a two-day fast. And one more benefit that's really exciting. If you do an extended fast, a couple of days, three days, there will be a noticeable restoration in your taste buds. A number of us here in iLife have done wilderness retreats where we climb, you know, 10,000 feet in the mountains and camp for a week. And part of that is fasting, solitude, silence. When you come home, when you come down from the mountain, you come home from those trips, I assure you that every you eat is going to be delicious. White iceberg lettuce. Oh my gosh. It's like I never tasted it before. It's true. It's true. But real quick, let me give you a few cautions about fasting. Children should not fast. Pregnant women should not fast. If you have to exert yourself physically, like if you're a concrete laborer, you're probably not going to be 
able to fast completely, all right? If you have to work hard at your job, you're going to do a limited thing or wait till another day. If you're a diabetic, you know what you can do and what you can't do. Just be careful. Now, let me speak for just a minute to those here this morning. And you do not consider yourselves yet to be a Christian. I have one caution for you about the Christian disciplines. They will help you. They will strengthen you. Even if you don't share our faith, it will. They will. But I don't want you to misunderstand uh, what I'm saying this morning. Following a Christian lifestyle or, or practicing Christian disciplines does not make you a Christian. The only way to become a Christian is to understand and to receive what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So, what have we learned so far? There's going to be a lot of stuff. Fasting ought to be a regular part of a Christian's life. Jesus taught fasting. He practiced fasting. But when we fast, don't boast about it. Don't make some big show drawing attention to ourselves. That fasting is a discipline that will strengthen our self-control in every area of your life, not just food. That it will clear our mind and allow us to focus. And it will improve our physical health. Okay? More than I can say on that, but let's continue on. I want to finish by looking at why the Christian disciplines are essential for our life. And then by, by doing that challenge to you all to do a fast. So often, Christians make a mistake thinking that we can follow Jesus, which means uh, a lot of things, that we love people that we don't actually like, that we go the extra mile in service uh, to other people and to the church, that we suffer patiently, where life just gives us a painful experience. We believe that we can resist temptations, say, to procrastinate, which you're probably doing this week. Temptations to gossip, to look at porn, to masturbate, to eat too much, to drink too much, and to sleep too much. We think we can do all of that, resist temptation, and do hard things by an act of our will while we are living the same kind of life that everybody else is living. Non-Christian, non-spiritual people, our lives are no different. And yet we think we're going to have all that power to do all of that. It's ridiculous. It's funny. Somehow we think that the power of God in our lives should just work like magic. I'm a Christian, and so magic should happen. Something tempts us, and we wish some great 
force would come over me that would just push me away from that temptation. It's a power that I have. For years, I tried to figure out how to get that power. I wanted it if it was available. And I'm reading Scripture, and I found some verses that surprised me. It's just a little bit weird, I thought, because I was, I was into the magic faith, not the practicing disciplines faith. In Hebrews 5.14, the apostle says, but solid food, which he means is deeper disciplines of the Christian faith, deeper insights into the Christian faith. Solid food is for the mature who, listen, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Trained themselves. That caught my ear. It really did. And then I found the same thing again. It might have been a year later. I found the same thing again. 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train myself to be godly. I thought God was going to make me godly. No, train yourself to be godly. Think about about the effort that it takes to train like an athlete. You know what? Does anyone know uh, what Chris Bryant, Cub fans here? You know, do you know what Chris Bryant, the hitter, is doing this entire offseason? Who knows? Uh, Yeah, that's a spiritual discipline, actually. Chris Bryant is a fantastic hitter, but he mainly hits to left field. He's spending all winter training to hit the other way, to right field. It is a discipline, and he's spending all winter on it. Now, why do we think that something spiritual won't require the same degree of effort as as, as something physical? And it's clear that Paul didn't think that way. And he even uses a sports analogy. I use a lot of sports analogies. But Paul, he uses a great one. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, 27. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. That World Series trophy, it may be dust on it 10 years from now. But we train, meaning spiritual training, for an eternal prize. So Paul says, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, he says, I fear that preaching, after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I might lose my faith. I might stumble morally and be disqualified. I may shipwreck my life along the way here if I don't train. Athletes push their body. They treat it roughly, training it to do what it should, not what it wants to do. Fasting, solitude, silence, prayer, study, meditation, 
on God's truth, sexual purity even. These are disciplines. And I've said several times here that they're hard. They just are hard. That's no pain, no gain, right? And so we say in exercise, they are hard, these things. But hard compared to what? Compared to what? Proverbs thirteen fifteen. The way of the unfaithful. Now that is hard. People who don't practice any spiritual discipline. That is hard. If you want to see crushing burdens, tragic stories, real life soap operas, don't look at the lives of people that are training themselves to be godly. Look at the lives of people who don't. The cost of discipleship is high. It's high. But the cost of not being a disciple, not pursuing discipleship, is staggering. It's a staggering high cost. So that if we count the cost of obeying God versus not obeying God, you're going to see the results are worth the price. They're worth it. You follow Christ and life will not be perfect, but it will be better. And every place you see religious people having great trauma by their own fault, I'm certain these are people that have not been training in some way as disciples of Jesus. Okay. Now, I want to leave you with some thoughts from a church in Peoria that has been challenging their people, right now they are, to a 21-day fast. Now, that's not 21 days with just water. They've got a plan, and I've got the website on the card that I've given you. And they, they have a complete plan for phasing 21 days. You know, the Bible records many different kinds of fasts. Most common is called, uh, original name here, the normal fast. Okay, This involves going without food uh, for one meal, maybe a day certain number of days. Now, by the way, when you fast, make sure and drink plenty of water. Force water. You might also, if, if energy does become a problem, you might take some, some clear broth, like uh, I, is that chicken broth probably. Um, maybe some 100% juices, not juicy juice. It's got a bunch of corn sweetener in it, pure juices, you know, that'll help you maintain strength if you need it, especially on a longer fast. Now, there is another type of fast called a partial fast. Usually involves giving up particular foods and drink for an extended period of time. It's often referred to as a Daniel fast, based on several times in that the prophet Daniel 
where he allowed himself, it says in, in the scripture, no choice foods, meats, breads, sweets, or wine. But he ate only vegetables and drank water. Now, I understand that people want to fast from Facebook or from music, and those are fasts, you know? Try the food fast. See if that proves challenging, okay? Now, depending on your level of experience with fasting, you may want to start small. Uh, maybe begin by fasting for one meal and then take the money you would have spent on that meal and, and donate the money to some good cause. Next, if, if that goes okay, maybe attempt a normal fast for a full day. Build up to a normal fast of one to three days. One of the old Hebrew ways to do it is go sundown to sundown. Now, I'm not trying to, to paint some rosy picture. You should expect that a water or juice fast is going to be uncomfortable. Your body is going to have a fit right in the beginning. You may feel weak and experience a headache. You get a headache, that is toxins coming out of your body. Drink more water. Maybe, um, maybe another way to fast is, is just consider uh, simple meals for several days. Yogurt, a spoonful of peanut butter, small bowl of soup, or a piece of toast. Maybe not all of those at one time. All right. But basically, guys, it, the focus is not on eating for pleasure. Because pleasure is our God. And it's setting time aside from food preparation and cleanup and going out. Time that you can devote to taking walks and listening for God's voice, or calling out to Him, or going through the Psalms, reading through a full gospel, meditating on Scripture, if you're tired in your fast, sleep. Take long naps. That's allowed in long fasts. Now, here's an, a lesson that I have learned. When you do an extended fast, do not break your fast by a plate full of enchiladas and a tall stein of some craft brew don't go to a Chinese buffet and all you can eat. I've done this. I was in such pain in Estes Park that one of the guys, John Drake, had to come in and find out if I was okay. Because I went from zero to gluttony in about two hours. Or I don't. Go with some fruit or a light salad, Okay. You'll get to that big meal. I'm going to invite the band to come up right now. And I'm going to lay out a challenge to you. There's a card that I've given you. The Unlinei Life Chosen Fast. I'm wanting you to set a, a time 
and just set a plan to fast. Wouldn't it be great if we all did this? And I've given you this card so that you can make official your decision to do this and take it away with you. Circle your choice of a fast and then sign the card and keep it and put it up somewhere where you can see it. As a reminder of the decision that you made to do a fast. I'm telling you that part of you will resist the idea of fasting So expect to argue with yourself. That's it. If you're on the city or connected to iLife through Facebook, you should look for more information and a reminder about what we're trying to do here. Okay? Let's pray.